0: we left off on verse 28 of chapter 8 of Matthew and we spent a large portion of our time talking about demons and demon possession last week and hopefully we have a little better understanding of what's actually out there and how it actually happens instead of there are so many different uh, theologies and beliefs about this and society has taken it and run with it in a certain way that just isn't uh, kosher uh, with scripture um, and we're, we're just gonna pick right back up where we left off Jesus if you will remember Jesus had just uh, crossed the crossed the lake and he just calmed the sea after he told people, you know, if you follow me, it's going to be difficult. They got in a boat and followed him, and they went right into a storm. <laughs> and Jesus, you know, calms the sea, does a miracle in front of everybody. He goes across the sea, lands on the shore, and a, and a demon-possessed man shows up and runs down and confronts him in a, in a sort of a strange way. Everybody knows who this guy is. Everybody knows he's uh, he's gone, man. You know, They're all afraid of him. He lives, well, The one says two people, but apparently he's talking to one. Uh, They live out in the tombs, which are little holes cut in the side of the hills. They live there just naked and attack people as they come by. Every time they try to take care of them or take them to custody, they break free and hurt people. Uh, And what we were doing is we are giving you a little bit of a richer uh, background because some of the other Luke and... uh, mark have a little more in depth about what's actually happening here a little more details and we left off with mark 5 8 through 13 and then 18 through 19. it's they pick up with jesus saying for he jesus had been saying to him come out of that man you unclean spirit now i'm not sure if this is out loud or speaking to the spirit directly spiritually it doesn't really give us this And he was was asking him, asking, what is your name? So obviously that's out loud. And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. So apparently there's not just one demon in this guy, there's a whole crap load, a cacophony of evil. And he began to implore him uh, earnestly not to send them out of the country. Uh, Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine, so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine. The herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about two thousand of them. And they were drowned in the sea. That's a lot of pigs um so basically there's this conversation that everybody is there remember there's a crowd that's following him there's the people in the boat that were following him and then everywhere he shows up no matter where he crosses the sea uh they get word he's coming and they show up so this is all playing out in front of other people uh not everybody in the city yet but there's enough people there and it's a very interesting dialogue it it just is it's uh, if you weave all three accounts together, it's very rich. Um, you know, we had already read the beginning of Matthew's. We read Luke's, and now we're reading Mark's. And uh, Mark's gives us a little more detail about the. I find this interesting. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. He, being singular, the crazy guy, the demon-possessed guy, uh, began to implore Jesus uh, not to send them, the demons out of the country. Uh, I find that interesting that there's this conversation going on between Jesus the guy and the demons that are just that's just flowing and Jesus is like this is what I do all the time I, you know this is nothing unusual for me but I imagine the people and uh, the disciples are watching this and they are really taken a bit back. Um, so he they asked not to be sent uh somewhere and i will get into where that somewhere is and it says later in 18 as this after he's delivered after he's delivered from the demons after the demons go into the pigs and the pigs rushed on off a cliff into the sea and drown i mean just allow yourself to picture 2,000 floating pigs i mean that's a lot of pigs uh, and he was getting into and it says as he jesus was getting to the boat the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. He's saying to Jesus, he's all calm, he's better, There's he, he's a new man, he, or he's the old man that he was before the demons. And he says to him, uh, can I go with you? And Jesus didn't let him, but he said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great thing the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. Uh, The heart of Jesus. Um, You know, this is kind of cool because after, remember just a few verses ago, people were saying, could I go home and say goodbye to my parents? And Jesus said, no, put the kingdom first. You know, he's telling them the cost of the kingdom. In this case, Jesus says to him, sure. No, just go home and talk to your family. Uh, I always envisioned this as a family that had been praying for this man for a very long time and their hearts were broken by it was somebody they deeply loved and he's living in a cave running around naked attacking people and there's nothing anybody can do and i just imagine heartbroken parents siblings uh... crushed and just praying to god earnestly And jesus steps in and says you know what go home take care of your family go home to them because these things matter to god uh... which gives us a little reference back to god saying to people you know uh, let the dead bury the dead, and all those sort of things. You know, it, it is hyperbole to make a point, uh, a drastic point. But this is the heart of God. And I, I find it really cool, but it's mostly just here. Back to verse 29 from Matthew. Uh, now, we already know what happened, but we're going to pick it back up in Matthew. And they cried out, saying, They, the demons, cried out, saying, What business do you have? What business do we have with each other? So the demons are conversing with Jesus. The guy's just standing there, and there's a conversation between two spiritual beings. And he calls him Son of God in front of everybody. Have you come here to torment us before the time? A uh, very interesting uh, phrase. The phrase, What business do we have? Is a common one used in Scripture. Uh, six time used in the Old Testament between old, between people. Basically, means uh, what do you want from me? Uh, why are you here? Uh, what I'm doing isn't your business. Uh, and what reason do we have to fight? Why are we fighting? That sort of thing. It's generally what it means. It's not something that we use, but it's basically what I'm saying. Now, when he says before the time that's the time of judgment. The demon seems to know their fate. Uh, they know the future torment and they're sharing it. They want to be left alone <laughs> until then to do what they do which is to harm what God loves. Humans are civilian casualties in a spiritual war. We willingly enter to the war zone every time we sin. Uh, Matthew twenty five forty one says this and then he will also say to those on his left depart from me accursed ones into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels see this this is a few chapters later Jesus says this you got it? okay hi Mike so this is a few chapters later and uh, apparently this demon already knows this he knows that there is a place that has been prepared for him and Satan, for them and Satan. In Second Peter two four, it says this, uh, the, basically it's saying the time is so sure it is spoken of as present fact. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the pits of darkness <laughs> reserved for judgment, uh, it's stating it as fact, that it's going to happen, uh, that the fact that God said it's going to happen means it is happening Uh, Jude 6 says the angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day so what these demons are saying is leave me alone until that day you've you've made the declaration uh, you've said what you're going to do when you're going to do it so why are you bothering me now James 2.19 it says, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and they shudder. They are afraid of Jesus. Understand this, that in this conversation, the fear is on their side. The guy isn't afraid. Jesus isn't afraid. The demons are afraid. Jesus Christ is standing in front of them. Mark 1, 23 through 22 another what business demon is spoken of just then there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit and he cried out saying what business do we have with each other jesus of nazareth this isn't the same thing this is another thing where another demon looks at jesus says why are you bothering me now Uh, have you come to destroy us i know who you are the holy one of god Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him, throwing him into convulsions. The unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. They were amazed, and so they debated among themselves, What is this, a new a new teaching with authority? He commands even unclean spirits, and they obey him. Immediately the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding districts. Back in verse 30 in Matthew, Now there was a herd of many swine, now we know it's 2,000, around 2,000 it said, feeding a distance from them. Now it's interesting that there's a herd of pigs here because they are unclean under Jewish law. If the owners of the herd were Jews, they were most likely breaking the law. If they were Gentiles, they were insulting the Jews with their presence. Deuteronomy 14.8 says, The pig, because it divides the hoof, but does not chew the cud is unclean for you. You shall not eat any of their flesh, nor touch their carcass. Now, from the Jewish uh, website Habad, which talks about Jewish custom, Jewish law, it says this: Before discussing swine, let's start the lo- let's start with the law concerning raising and doing business with non-kosher animals. Now this is Jewish law, it's not necessarily scripture, but this is how the Jews handled that Deuteronomy thing of any variety. While a Jew may own non-kosher animals he may not do business with non-kosher foods or non-kosher animals that are usually used or raised for human consumption. Now I don't know what you could use a pig for other than human consumption, other than finding truffles and I don't think you need two thousand of them to find truffles or in the case of Arnold Ziffel to deliver the newspaper. Thank, thank you Frank, you knew who Arnold Ziffel was. <laughs> Somebody knew who Arnold Ziffel was. In other words, even though it's permissible to derive benefit from most types of non-kosher foods, one is forbidden to establish a business in this field. Swine are obviously included in this prohibition as they are usually used and raised for food. On the other hand, raising or having a pet horse, for example, would not fall under this prohibition since they are usually used and raised to ride upon. You, you keep a horse, which is an unclean animal, to ride on it, not to eat it. You don't really ride pigs. Well, not often, and not for consuming and Obviously, for one to raise them for human food purposes, then this too would be prohibited. A horse. The above applies to all non-Kosher animals, not just swine. However, there's an additional prohibition against raising swine in particular. Basically speaking, it is not right to breed pigs in any place whatsoever, let alone in Jewish land. So, uh, the pigs shouldn't have been there. They were problematic with the law, and it's sort of apropos. Don't lose sight that where they were sent to and where Jesus allowed them to go to was really important because whoever was raising those 2,000 pigs just lost 2,000 pigs. I'm assuming that is a devastating hit to his pig industry. Uh, I don't know how he would recover from that. Anyway, seems apropos, this is all I'm saying. 32, and he said to them, Go. And they came on and went into the swine, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the water the herdsmen ran away went to the city and reported everything including what had happened to the the demonics once again this is demonics plural this is still indicating there were two of them even though it appears only one of them was speaking to Jesus now let's think about these herdsmen your job is to take care of them pigs uh, that you're responsible for them you're standing there and it says there's some way off you don't really know I it apparently they figured out what happened but at that distance they're sitting there watching their pigs maybe from a distance they're watching what's going on down on the shoreline and all of a sudden their pigs all rush into the sea and they all look at each other and said did we do that and uh uh-oh so they go to town to put the blame somewhere else because they just lost two thousand pigs and I'm sure that was not cheap But they needed a way to explain why they allowed 2,000 pigs to go into the sea and they put it on the power of Jesus Christ. They were responsible for the herd and uh, they knew 2,000 drowned and they just wanted people to know we didn't do that. Well, they go to the city to explain what happened and then the whole city comes out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, this this is verse 34, it's interesting, they implored him to leave the region. Implored. They begged him. There was no threat. They were just, please. Well, they were afraid of him. They're they're not going to threaten him. They're afraid of him. Uh, They they know who they're looking at. They know they're looking at the demon-possessed guy who nobody could talk to, nobody could deal with, and he was just standing there talking like a normal human being. Uh, There was no denying that something had occurred here. And behind them there's 2,000 pigs floating. Uh, Everyone was fearful of Jesus except the man who was possessed by demons. Uh, He was the only one who did ask Jesus to leave. He said, can I go with you? Uh, The loss of several thousand pigs probably had an impact on their view of things. Uh, Imagine hearing what the herdsman said going out and seeing 2,000 dead pigs floating in the sea and the demonic sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed and calm. The oh wow moment for sure and fear of his power and judgment kept them from knowing his love. Um, Fear has a way of keeping us from being engulfed in the love of God. Uh, Fear of our own punishment, fear of the power of God it keeps us from becoming close to God uh, realize from using the word Father in the best way possible, Abba Father, um, and it's sad. Uh, I mean, I understand why we fear His power, our sin, uh, you know, but we really do lose sight of His grace and His love and His care for us. That's chapter eight. Let's move on to chapter nine. Any questions? I know we split this between two days. I did a lot of the demon stuff uh, explanation last week, but anybody have any questions or anything about any of this? Uh, I just opened chapter nine and then I closed it. I'll open it back up again. okay. yeah get away from the wheelbarrow, Otis. you know you don't know nothing about machinery. okay. Chapter 9, we continue on once again, I remind you, chapters were not in the letter, we put them there. So, Jesus tells him to go back, they they ask him, to. he shows up, now remember the folks that followed him in the boat, the ones who said, you know, uh, we'll follow you anywhere, and Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, it's going to cost you. They followed him in a boat, they almost sunk in a storm, Jesus calmed the storm. They land on shore. They see Jesus uh, deliver the demonics. And 2,000 pigs run into the sea. And now Jesus gets back on the boat and leaves. And I'm assuming they're getting back on the boat and following him again. There, there is a group of there's the people in his boat. And if you will recall, there was an, another boat or boats that were following along. Getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over the sea and he came to his own city. He's back at Capernaum. He returns to Capernaum. Wherever Jesus returned to Capernaum, of course crowds gather. I'm sure they know he's coming. Uh, the crowds are already waiting for him. He is most likely at Peter's house, and the house was surrounded by the crowd. So he gets there. He gets on shore. He walks through the crowd, and he goes where he's staying, which is commonly believed to be the house of Peter and his brother. And they brought him a man, uh, brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed seeing their faith Jesus said to the paralytic take courage son your sin is forgiven your sins are forgiven Uh, big statement Uh, don't let that one just walk by linking faith and forgiveness of sins uh, there are some richer uh, let me read them uh, from Mark Uh, they came bringing him a paralytic carried by four men being unable to get him get to him because of the crowd. There are so many people at Peter's house, they can't get through the crowd. They removed the roof above him. They went up on the roof and moved the parts up there. And, you know, hey, it's hard enough to get on a roof. I mean, there was a time when it was easier for me. But to get on a roof and carry dead weight of a man up onto a roof with you, it's an effort. It really, you know, it's a substantial thing to do. And they had When they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was laying. And Jesus said, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Luke 5.20 says, seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. Uh, Faith is directly linked to the forgiveness of sins. He had faith in Jesus and his sins were forgiven. Some say that the sickness was linked to a sin, and once it was forgiven, he was healed. Others say that the forgiveness of sin was linked to faith, and that the healing was not linked to the forgiveness of a particular sin, but it was healed to prove that when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, uh, they were forgiven, that he had the authority to do that, and Jesus backs that side up. I That's where I go, because then Jesus basically says the same thing. Hey, if I say it, and nothing happens, big deal, but if I say it, and this guy's healed... Doesn't that prove something? Because of faith, his sins were forgiven, and he was healed. Faith did both as separate acts. The healing proves Jesus' authority to forgive sins. It wasn't just the faith of the sick man. It was the faith of those who loved him. I love this verse. Man, if you have people you care about, and I'm sure you do, who you're worried about, who you're worried about their health, who you worried about there? Well, two things happened. He was healed and he was saved. These are the two things we really care about with people we love. And I want you to know that the faith of these guys changed all of that so what I'm telling you is your faith your prayers have power as much power as these guys who climbed up on the roof and lowered the guy down in front of Jesus Christ so every time you drop on your knees you're lifting someone up and dropping them down right in front of Jesus Christ and saying please heal him Uh, and it's the matter of faith Um, their faith brought this about the forgiveness and the healing this is why we pray for other people's salvation and healing it matters. It, it, because it matters to us, it matters to him. He already loves the person that you care about more than you possibly could. But it's the act of faith. And prayer is an act of faith. Every time you drop to your knees and pray for somebody, you're dropping them down right in front of Jesus. Mark, uh, oh, I already read those to you. Okay. Verse 3 so he says he heals the guy and he says your sins are forgiven of course that does not go well with certain people there Uh, remember in this huge crowd the scribes and pharisees are already there Uh, if you've got to watch uh, that show The Chosen that's streaming everywhere it deals with this particular it gives you a visual of this Uh, and it's pretty fairly well done it's worth watching it's on free streaming everywhere if you haven't watched it take some time and take a look at it some of the scribes said to themselves as usual this fellow blasphemes so they're saying that God Jesus Christ is a blasphemer he's blaspheming himself is basically what they're saying who is Jesus that he can proclaim forgiveness only God could do that exactly that's the point you're right only god could do that and he just did it so who is he he's god you know they're absolutely that, right that possibility was not a part of their thing nope <laughs> nope so, but they should have thought that through i mean honestly only god for can forgive sins they're saying but this guy the just did yeah but this guy just did so who is this guy? so facto he must be God and he proved it by having this guy get up and carry his pallet out of there at this point Jesus had become big theological news the scribes and Pharisees from all around were now gathering in groups wherever Jesus was to judge what Jesus was doing as they should I mean there's not a problem with that Uh, but their judgment was wrong and their pride got in the way Uh, because Jesus was drawing crowds that were bigger than them. they were, li- And the fact that Jesus often pointed right at them in front of everybody and told them how wrong they were. So he wasn't endearing himself to the scribes and Pharisees, not that he cared. As far as Jesus was concerned, they were the problem. They were returning the favor and saying, you're the problem. Now, it was their job to make sure that what Jesus was saying was correct and scripturally correct sound but they were more interested in their Jewish custom and law than they were scripture. Jesus would say or do something and they would discuss the matter among themselves and then issue a response. It was this give-and-take every single time. They were looking for any mistake or miscue, so they could invalidate Jesus's entire ministry. This should sound familiar to us in today's social atmosphere. Anytime somebody says something or proclaims something, we're looking for the smallest thing. Remember, back in 1972, you posted something. Well, there was no posting in seventy two. Back in early 2000, you posted something when you said this, and now you're going to pay for it. You know, this will go and validate everything you said. This should sound familiar. As I said, people are not seeking truth; they're seeking victory for themselves, and that's exactly what the scribes and Pharisees do from Micah 7.18 Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. In other words, God forgives people from scripture and he has the power to do it. Isaiah 43.25 I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my sake because I want to and I will not remember your sins. This is the first incident of the connection, uh, contention with the religious leaders. Jesus' words of forgiveness come after many, many miracles have been performed by him and known by them, and after many messages have been given. In other words, he just didn't walk out, meet them and say, sins are forgiven. He built up to it. He proved it with his words and with his deeds, who he was. And the religious leaders should, uh, should not have questioned such a statement after seeing what they've seen. But Jesus had perver- proved his divine authority time and again, and they could not deny it. Now, it says they were thinking... Oh, how many times have we seen this? Jesus knows what they're thinking. Well, if he knows what they're thinking, he knows what you're thinking. Never let that get away from you okay just let that be a part of your uh, understanding of God he knows your thoughts Uh, he knows what you're thinking and why you're thinking it and what it is you want Jesus knowing their thoughts because none of this had been said out loud yet why are you thinking evil in your hearts (laughs) he he looks at the religious leaders and say why are you thinking evil thoughts from deep inside well that wouldn't endear him either Jesus answered them before they speak. And it happens many times. Uh, he calls their thoughts evil. Uh, they saw a man healed, his sins forgiven, and they call him a blasphemer. And that's a death penalty charge, by the way. Uh, in their minds, they're thinking this guy should be killed. Um, that's serious stuff. I mean, it's, you know, this isn't just a casual accusation this is they pick up rocks and kill you stuff Jesus countered that they are the ones who are evil they called him evil Jesus turned in their minds and they're all thinking this man's evil Jesus comes out loud and says no you're evil uh, not the first the last time he will do this by the way this starts in the antagonistic relationship that continues between Jesus and the religious leader that last basically even to this day um uh, now, realize, this is up in Galilee. This isn't the scribes and Pharisees down in Jerusalem who have him killed. This is his hometown boys. Now, I'm sure there are some up there who come up to see. They sent some people up to find out. But, man, these are his scribes and Pharisees. These are the people that know him the best. Uh, or think they do. Or think, you right, who should know him the best. Who should know that he has the power to heal and forgive? Uh, i give you Mark 2, 6 through 12. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? This is Mark's version of the same thing. He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? It's a little deeper. He says, Why are you thinking what you're thinking? without, he just looks him right in the eye and says, why are you thinking what you're thinking? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say get up and pick up your pallet and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. As you can see, Mark puts a little different twist on how this occurred. And it's basically, he before it's not a challenge that is answered after it happens. He answers the challenge as it happens. He knows what they're thinking. He says to them, you know, I know what you're thinking, and why are you thinking it? Let me ask you a question. What's easier to say? Hey, I can forgive sins, or I could say to that guy, get up and be healed. And, of course, they're saying, well, it would be harder to say, get up, because anybody could say, I forgive your sins, but nobody else can say, get up, carry your pallet, and get out of here. He does, he says it, the man gets up, picks up his pellet, and walks out. And they are left with nothing to say. But they are saying to themselves, we got to deal with this guy, because they had just been put in their place by God in front of everybody. Um... verse 5 says which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or say get up and walk uh, he answers them. he says the, verse 6 this is Matthew's version again, but so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins he said to the paralytic get up pick up your bed and go home and we will leave there because time is up any questions comments criticism verse 6 anything we need to know want to know or anything like that um, what, what exactly is the pallet, if I can't close it. Um, most other places call it a bed. It, it was something stiff. I mean, think a pallet would be something a little bit stiffer, so you could actually carry him a gurney. Up. Did you ever see what they carry uh, injured people on in the war? They, You know, those, uh, what do they call them, litters. Yeah, a litter bearer. The NIV says Matt. Yeah, NIV says Matt. Uh, whatever it is, you—they have to—it you, has to be capable of lowering you down on a rope, <laughs> and it would have Probably to have—it would have to have some sort of structure to it to be put to a rope, or else you're just dumping the paralytic guy through the hole and he's plopping down in front of Jesus. You know, um, that would be my guess on this. Uh, it says different things, uh, but my understanding is. It would be a something like a litter uh, that, that would be comfortable. I mean, the guy has to live on this thing, and the only way if he gets he gets it doesn't say how long he's been paralytic. Uh, by the way, let's not lose uh, sight of the fact that the paralytic got up and walked. Uh, if you know anything about atrophy, um, I don't know how long he was paralyzed, but if it was for any length of time there's no muscle there to get up and walk. So not only was he healed, he was really healed. He was—he had the power to stay. It's, it's like when Jesus calmed the storm, it stopped instantly. It became a sheet of glass. It, this is the same sort of thing. This paralytic, forever how long he was paralyzed, would have lost his muscle strength. But apparently, when he God heals somebody, he heals them. And the guy stood up, not only stood up, he picked up the thing that was carrying him, and he walked out with it. And everybody saw it. So it has a little bit more oomph to it when you stop and think about it. I'm talking about really healed. What did I say? Verse 6? Uh, what did I do with at? Okay. Any other thing? Any th- other questions or anything? Like I said, we got two more weeks. Uh, if you guys want to do something the last week, uh, that's fine with me. Um, you have a little soiree or something. I don't care. But Pizza if not... Party. What's that? Meet the party. That's fine with me. I don't, I'll leave it to you guys. Uh, we can do anything you want to do. Um, I'll be in touch. Okay. Matthew 9, 6 is where we will pick up. I finally got that. Any other questions? If not, I wish you all a good night, and God bless you. Oh, I should say a prayer, shouldn't I? Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Thanks, Frank. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this fellowship you provided and for this place to, to have the fellowship. Lord, I just uh, lift up my brothers and sisters and I ask that your word find a home in all of our hearts and it changes us so that we're the light in this world, no more no longer part of the darkness. And watch over my brothers and sisters, make them strong, wise, brave and compassionate. And help them to glorify your name and what they think, what they do, and what they say. In Jesus' name, amen.